If you have a Bible, you can meet me in 1 John chapter 4. If you're new to the Scripture, it's way back towards the end. So keep going right. If you get to Revelation, go left. All right? And so uh, you're really close. But we are wrapping up a series on love. And I've been excited for this moment because as we close it out, we uh, get the opportunity in the Word of God to recenter our hearts on the Lord, on the gospel. Because you can't talk about love without drawing your vision up and looking to Jesus, right? That's what Scripture says. We look to Jesus because He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, as Scripture says, He's the one who brings it to Completion and completion in Scripture looks a lot like us loving more like Jesus. And so, uh, but as, as you think about that and as we kind of move into that space, before we jump into 1 John 4, I was reading a story about Walt Disney, since we are just down the I 4 corridor from the happiest place on earth. Sort of. But uh, I was reading about Walt Disney, and he's really an interesting guy. And uh, as he was having his kids, and, and really the first time that he was seeing through the lens, right? We just talked about Ben and Bethany becoming parents for the first time. Well, Walt, when he was becoming a parent and was just watching the world around him uh, disintegrate, in his opinion, and go further and further away from what he considered happiness, and joy, and love, uh, he got so concerned with it that he set out to create the happiest place on earth. Now, any one of you that has been to Disney with children know it's actually the unhappiest place <laughs> on earth. Your kids get possessed. You lose your testimony five times in the first hour. If you don't stop that, we're leaving. But you're not because you spent a mortgage payment getting there. So you're not leaving because you're, that's poor stewardship, right? And uh, I'm kidding, sort of. That those may actually be true details. But I'm actually a Disney guy. I actually love the whole concept as far as amusement goes of bringing your kids. And, and for all the things I might not like about the Disney experience or you know, and we could go farther, I get it, I'm not advocating for any of the other stuff, but there is something that they've gotten right when I walk my three-year-old princess in and she sees Cinderella or the castle or Mickey and she lights up in awe and wonder. And yet, isn't it true that those things as we love and look in awe and wonder, that you grow up and you think, that's not real. Right? And so, as you consider that, what Walt was going after was creating what he wanted to call Epcot, the whole thing. And it's a it's a acrostic for this experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And there's actually a little ride at one of the parks where you can uh, go and listen to the song that was created with it and see what he thought the community of tomorrow would look like. And it doesn't look like that. But really, 
as every searching soul in this life. Every single one of us. It pushes us towards this question. How do you get something that you don't have? How do you get something that you don't have? How do you get unconditional love, hope, peace? You know, depending on how you answer that question, the thing that you don't have, because our culture looks for it in a million of the wrong places. Many of us look for it in a million of the wrong places, if we're honest. But you might seek it out in any number of things, sex, drugs, people-pleasing, any number of things. I think back on my own love story as we talked a few weeks ago when I told you that my wife made me wait for uh, my, the I love you back. If you missed that, you can catch it on the podcast a few weeks ago. But not only that, I didn't tell you this part of the story, that even in my own story, when I met my wife, she made this ridiculous covenant with the Lord that she would not date someone for a year when I met her. And she was two months into it. But like her shining knight in armor, I said, baby, I will wait for you. It was much less dramatic than that. But I might have said something kind of like that. But we get it, don't we? There is, at times in your life, this thing that's just out of reach. Right? And we might switch jobs or change houses or look at our kids or have more kids or try try new things or set goals and make changes and all searching for that little bit of better. And yet it eludes us so often. Because, because the reality is, how, how do you get what you don't have in this life? Hope, unconditional love. But here's my question for us today, right? Because I think we'd probably agree, just judging by you being here, that we see that issue in our, in our world. And we even can see that issue in the church. But my question for you is one step farther than that. As the body of Christ, do we have what they are looking for? Because that's the next step down in the question, right? It's one thing for you and I to say, how do I get what I don't have? And yet the gospel would call us one more step in closer and say, do we have what they are looking for? And I'll explain that over the next few minutes, but would the world, would the culture, would the city of Tampa walk into our body, not this building, but into our gathering of the church as we are the church, as you and I together make up the body of Christ? Would the world find what they are looking for? Would they see the love of God in motion between you and I? Would they see it? Does God want a church that's good at doing stuff? Or does He want a church that is known for its love for each other and then for the world? You know the answer to that question as well as I do. But we have to be reminded of it, don't we? Because John seventeen twenty three says, 
I in them, Jesus in us. We look up to Jesus for salvation and he moves into us for transformation. I in them, you in me. So the Father in Christ, Christ in us. Why? John seventeen twenty three that they may become perfectly one. It's not optional. We have to. We get to. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing as your vision goes up to Jesus for the salvation, the thing that you can't quite get. But don't you know that we don't just arrive at that kind of love? I mean, if I was to poll you right now, I'd be like, how's that going for you? Look around. How's that going for you? I mean, even I, like, I struggle with that. I have struggled with it all week. And I think it's just because Satan knew I was going to get up here and tell you, you better love each other better. So I did really bad at loving people this week. Right? That, that, like, it's a fight, isn't it? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's what Scripture says. There, there's an active war that you and I would not do that. Because it's the actual thing that will reach this city for Christ. And it's so hard. Because I was living it out in my flesh. Right? You ever experienced that? Probably this morning. (laughs) So, I want to just unearth from 1 John 4, from the Scripture... How God says you can get what you do not have and then give it away freely. And then you and I need to hold each other accountable to do it. Not as punishment. Perfect love is not punishment. We're going to learn in a second, perfect love casts out that punishment, casts out fear. We can love each other and we can love the world. So 1 John chapter 4, if you're not there yet, it'll be on the screen Verse 7 begins this way, and what a way to start. It says, Beloved. Beloved. Before you are ever told what you need to do, you're told who you are. You are a beloved child of God. Love, unconditional love, is one way. It originates and flows from God because God is love. And it flows into you and fills you and flows through you for others. So there there is this aspect of your life that lives vertically and horizontally. Because vertically with Christ, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Everything you need for life and satisfaction you have in Christ. Forever fixed, finished. Soak in that for a second. Maybe that's the thing that you're here for, to know that you are loved. Deeply, 
by God, adopted into his family, forever fixed, because you're his kids. And he loves you with a crazy, reckless kind of love. So much that he would do what we're going to read here in a second, but what a place to begin as the beloved of God. What a word. God loves you. Why? Let's keep reading. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And that, that's not an indictment. It's God's law being held up to you as a mirror so that you can really see who you are. Because if you think you're in when you're out, that's the worst thing that could happen to you. And and it's not an indictment as a punishment. It's a reality that he wants you to know because it is so incredibly simple to move from death to life. But because God is Love, he is also holy. And those aspects of his character must be satisfied equally. And so what happens? Look at verse 8. Or it says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. How do we see the fact that God is love? God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a fancy word for sacrifice. He took our place. He was our atonement. The propitiation for our sins. In this is love. Not that you loved God. Scripture is very clear that we all are sinners. No one is seeking after God. It's only by the grace and mercy of God that through God the Holy Spirit, He would draw you to Himself. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. You were dead. Dead people don't do anything. But He calls you into life, into the family of God. And it's in that place where God satisfied His holiness with His Son because of His love. One way love. God the Father saw the sinfulness of man. And instead of leaving you there, which He had every right to do, His equal character of love looked at His Son and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for your sin and for mine. And so today, if you are not in Christ, if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord, I, I want to just don't go any farther than right now without surrendering your life to him. If he is drawing you into his family, 
If you are the one searching for the thing that you don't have, I want you to know that the thing that you don't have is acceptance in the family of God. And that is the massive gulf in your life that you have not been able to fill. But I want you to know that you can fill it right now. If you will, as the scripture says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he raised from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. There's no fancy way to do that. You can do that in your heart with the Lord right now. And in a moment when we take communion together, you can for the first time partake of the body and blood of Jesus as a child of God, a beloved. And that would be the best thing that ever happened to you and us. Please, I beg you, do that. Sit with it. Soak in it. You are wholly loved by God. This is shalom. This is peace as we look up to God for salvation. And he moves in and begins to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We begin to flourish. We begin to see life in a different way. And we begin to turn and look with him at our world. And so uh, in John 15... Jesus said, as our vine, giving us life, he says, abide in me as the vine, that the Father is the gardener, the vine dresser, that as we abide, that John 15 says, he desires that you and I, as the body of Christ, abiding in him, connected to him, would bear much fruit. So as as you are saved, and that news is announced to you, and you Surrender your life to Christ and he moves in. Things begin to happen. You begin to see differently. When the Holy Spirit comes in and rearranges your priorities, you then see with Jesus in a different way than you ever have. You see people differently. And so even even if you've been in Christ for a long time and that's been desensitized for you because you've been around us for a long time, I just want to call all of us back to this idea that when the Holy Spirit is filling you, you see differently. So what does that look like? What is the fruit of the gospel in my heart? Now lift up your voice and say after. Say it. After. If you do this out of order, you will, be, you will burn out in a year. Because you can't, you can't do this stuff in the flesh. You can't. I've tried. I try every year. But listen to this. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, beloved, children of God, this is how his kids act. If he loves us, that's all we need. That's everything we need. If God loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, you can't rip that out and say, love one another. You're like, I don't want to. (laughs) But if God's love is filling you, we're going to love one another. It's power. There's power there. Look what he says. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And here it is, his love is perfected in us. It's perfected in us. Perfect love. And don't you love 
verse 13, it says, By this we know. If you have a real Bible today, you can write assurance next to that. By this we know. You want to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're in Christ? Here it is. That we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. That does not mean you will get it all right. But it does mean when you get it wrong, you'll know it isn't right. And He'll draw you back. He'll draw you back. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But I want you to move that from guilt to confession. Because when I call my kids out as their father, I'm not looking to throw them out. I'm looking to to draw them close so they can better understand what it looks like to be a coon. Coons do this, they don't do that. And if you do this, which they do all the time, I don't get rid of them. I bring them closer, right? I, I, I bring them in. And I'm working on doing that with love, like it says here. Right? You can know if you have a spirit. Verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. How do you know if you have the Spirit? If you are confessing that Jesus is Lord of your life. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son into the world. It's supernatural. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you're seeing that today, it's because you've been drawn in. You can know that if you're seeing that, that He's drawn you in to Him. So then what? If you're taking notes, now's your time. They're in the sermon guide. You forgot about them, all right? But they're there. And the first line that I want you to fill in is this. So those who abide in Jesus, those who have received the good news of the gospel, that's been announced in your life, you've surrendered to Jesus, what happens? Those who abide in Jesus bear the fruit of the beloved. That's what happens. Those who abide in Christ will begin to bear the fruit of the beloved. You'll begin to resemble the family. So what is that? What, what are those marks? What does the beloved get about? If you're radically rescued by Jesus and doing it and living it in His power, here, here's, what, here's the flow of that. So verse 15 and 16, Jesus' people are a confessing people. We're a confessing people. So verse 15 says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. Our vision has to go up first. It can't go out first. We have to go up. We don't hide. We proclaim. We're proud to carry the family name. Not because we have to. Not because it's some duty that we must carry out, but because we get to. 
We have a Father, a perfect Father, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who has called you His own. And He calls you friend. He calls you son or daughter of the Most High God. Does your life confess to the people in it that you are His? Does your life confess, proclaim, testify that you are in the Father? I love that. Confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. And God abides in you. It's why we gather. It's the reason we're right here. You're not here to listen to me. You're not here to sing songs. The world can do that. They've got, they've got great music. I don't know if you've heard any of it, but it's great. And they have really motivational speakers who are giving you good tips and tricks. That is not what we're here for. We're not here for that. You can get that. What we're here for is to confess together and to gather and sing and remind ourselves of the goodness of our God and His faithfulness so that we can together step out and love each other so that others will see and know God. That's it. We are disciples and then we make disciples. That's the thing. How do you do that? You start by looking up. Start by looking up. And we don't hide that. Because as he comes in, verse 17, Jesus' people are a faithful people. A faithful people. If he's come in and we're looking up and confessing that and living it out imperfectly, we will be a faithful people. Look at verse 17. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. What was Jesus in the world? What a great diagnostic question, right? What was Jesus in the world? Love, wasn't he? Love. You know what the religious people needed from Jesus for him to love them well? His law held up right in front of them, sometimes with a whip, throwing tables around calling out self-righteousness. Some of us need that. I need that sometimes. A lot of times. <laughs> no amens on that one. <laughs> I like. But you know what else? He, was, he would walk over to that tree and look up at Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, man, get out of that tree, dude. Like we're going to have dinner together. We're going to have dinner together. Who's Zacchaeus in your life? If you are Jesus in this world, just look for Zacchaeus. Look for the person who's broken. Draw near to the broken. Scripture says in Romans 12, associate with the lowly. Who is looking for Jesus? As He is, so are we in this world. We're just faithful people. And faithful doesn't mean you check all the boxes. Faithful is love. 
You don't need them to see that you have checked all the boxes. You need, to, you need them to see that you are unable to check the boxes, but you have a God who has checked all the boxes. Amen? That's faithfulness. Sanctification is you becoming more aware of your need for Jesus, not that you are Jesus. You are Jesus to this world, but you are not Jesus. You see the difference? You ain't Jesus. I am not Jesus. But we are in this world as He was in this world. We're faithful people. We're full of faith because we look to Him. Full of faith. I love that. And because we are faithful in looking to Him and then looking with Him, we are fearless people. Jesus' people are a fearless people. Look at verse 18. This, this is a fabulous verse. Here's what it says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. I'm going to lose you. Perfect love casts out fear. Whoever fears has not yet been perfected in love. Perfect love casts out fear. God's people, God's kids, who have looked to Him for salvation, and as He has come in and made us faithful, we then look with Him fearlessly at the people around us. We don't have to understand everything going on in their life. We don't have to even be able to trust them on a physical level. But we can, as Jesus in this world, looked at the quote-unquote worst of society with love, and He drew near and in close to them. He did it without fear. We are fearless people. And, And hey, can I just say this to you? Like, it's okay if you lose. Like, we are so conditioned to be winners that if the person we are drawing near to walks away from that, we feel like we lost. We're not here to win. We're here to love. Jeremiah never saw a convert. But yet, he's got a book in the Bible. He's remembered as the weeping prophet. That would not go good on a billboard in our culture. Hey, come to church. We're not experiencing any moves of God. <laughs> All right. But that that's not what we're here for. Jesus will do the saving. He's just giving seed to his sowers, right? We're out there scattering seed loving people, calling them to Jesus, not to ourselves or to our awesome thing, but to our awesome Savior, right? We're fearless. It doesn't matter if we lose. It doesn't matter if you lose your life. How, how do you get to that place where you just give up your life? What, what's Jesus say? If you lay down your life, you'll find it. What can mere man do to me? Oh, death, where is your sting? How do you get to that place because you're fearless in the fact that you have Jesus. 
And if the worst thing that can happen is I die, I go to be with him. Easier said than done. And finally, as we look fearlessly, we do this. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. What an awesome thing. And if we stopped there, it would be pillows and feathers. It would be awesome. But look at verse 20. And this is where it comes in close for us. This is where Jesus puts his arm around our shoulders and draws us into a family hug and says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, right here, or out there, who's a follower of Jesus, if you say you love God and hate your brother or sister, that person is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We must we must. So where do we go with that? Up. Up. Back to Jesus, right? If you love God, we got to love each other. We have to. We must. And what a privilege, what a joy to bear the fruit of the beloved, the children of God. So what's Epcot for us? What's our experimental, whatever he said, community of tomorrow? What's Epcot for us? What's the happiest place on earth for us? Can I suggest to you that it's at the communion table? Drawing your vision up to Jesus, the bread of life, the living water, found in his shed blood. Listen, you you need shalom in your life. Running hard and pursuing the things of this world will not satisfy you. You will progress and climb and do awesome stuff and it will not deliver on its promise. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things if God's given you access and influence into places that the rest of us don't have. You should go there. And you should make a ton of money. And you should use it to serve the body. And you should use it to build your family. You should do all of those things. But not for shalom. You should do it from shalom. From the wholeness in God that he offers you because then when he gives you more seed you'll be ready to sow you won't bury it in the backyard like the man with some talents in scripture right god look i invested all of it in nothing but i still have it (laughs) not what he was looking for fearless i'm going to let go of this for the good of others So, let's move to the happiest place on earth. There's communion elements in front of you. 